with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Too Many Captains Productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Ashley Chancellor. And I am Rob Stewart. And this is Collateral Cinema. Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters, where we focus on good movies, bad movies, and everything else in between in the world of cinema. We are podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, be it blunts, thongs, joints, smoke it if you've got it, my friends. Smoke it if you've got it. Indeed. Smoke all of it. Smoke everything. Especially after the week that we're having, right? <laughs> oh, shit, guys. Yeah, it's election week. And I think regardless of what side you're on, it is a tense moment for all of us, for everyone in, you know, whatever space you occupy in the political spectrum. Exactly. And, I mean, it's looking like Biden might win. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, but... You know, I mean, it's a monumental moment, and man, what a day to be alive, right, guys? Yeah, it's it's something. I uh, I spent the last twenty four hours very. Uh, I can't stop looking at my phone, and you know, <laughs> states are called on some places, and then other places are saying they're still in play. It's like just give me an answer. Indeed. Nevada just isn't counting anything. Like Nevada took twenty five percent of their ballots to Vegas and lost them all on black or something. I don't know. <laughs> man oh and i you know and it's it's gonna be a crazy moment you know regardless of who wins but yeah it's looking it's looking like it's biden he's real close there um i guess we don't want to get too political here (coughs) oh fuck trump Uh, (laughs) but yeah we've also got a guest on this show we've got Stu from sw productions SWO Productions. Uh, I don't SWO. know if you guys have any uh, proclivity for wrestling, but it's from the uh, it's for the Stew World Order, a knockoff of the uh, NWO from the nineties. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah! Cool. We we actually love us uh, some wrestling here on Collateral Cinema. Like Robert is a Robert Ortegon. He's a huge wrestling fan. Actually, we've been yeah. trying we've been trying to get him to do Collateral Wrestling for the longest time. But, <laughs> you know, I'll get him in on that. Get him in on that. I hope you guys out with that any way I can. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, do you uh, you want to talk about your show a little bit? 
Uh, yeah, so I formerly was uh, with a show called Ghost of the Stratosphere, and I met you guys on Twitter, like, way back when we started. We've been uh, associates on Twitter for a long time. Uh, you know, plug in your stuff. You guys have helped us out with some stuff. It's great. Uh, I've listened to your show several times. I'm a big fan. Uh, since then, like, this year, along with everything else that have ha happened in 2020, we just kind of fell by the wayside. Just some stuff happened, and we decided to go our separate ways for Ghosts of the Stratosphere. So I have branched off into my own creation. That's the Stew World Order Productions. And uh, my website is swoproductions.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter as, at swoproductions. And at this point, I'm pretty much an entertainment website. I'll do some entertainment news, like I've written articles on uh, news that's come out about the Zack Snyder cut. We may get into this later in the show. I've written some articles on the news that uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield may be in the third MCU Spider-Man movie. Uh, yeah. And other than that, I do a lot of comic book reviews, wrestling reviews, uh, movie reviews, stuff like that. So I'm kind of in flux on my own podcast situation. I'm waiting to see uh, who I can hook up with, uh, what talent I can bring under my umbrella to start up an SWO Productions podcast. But it's uh, going really well with the website right now. Okay, Excellent. hell yeah. And I, you know, we've interacted before, uh, you know, formerly under the Ghost of the Stratosphere handle. Um, Bo handles most of the Twitter stuff on Collateral Cinema, but I think I followed you on gaming, uh, on the gaming account. But um, it's awesome to have you on, man. Thanks for coming. Yeah, it's We're great to be on. Like I said, I like your guys' show, so I'm happy to happy to be here. Thank you very oh, much. Yeah. That, that means a lot, honestly. It really does. And to hear that you've got, you know, kind of a background and you like comic books, you like the comic book movies. This is the, sh the episode for you to be on, huh? <laughs> yeah, indeed. Our The Ghost of the Stratosphere podcast was a comic book specific podcast. So right. I'm used to talking about the comics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, and what better comic book movie to start off with than, you know, just the all-American um, everyman, Peter Parker, Spider-Man. I mean, and not just any Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3. That's just how the show goes. <laughs> like, we'll actually start up with, like, the third fucking movie in a series instead of <laughs> starting up with number one, you know? We're, we're just yeah. kind of weird like that. I'll have you guys know I was going to do Spider-Man 2 because I know it's considered one of the greatest superhero movies of all time still, but Bo talked me into Spider-Man 3 for the meme content. So we're going with Spider-Man 3, and I'm not going to lie. This is my least favorite Spider-Man film. It's it's good, and I'll talk about it. And I think maybe that's kind of the right angle to start with what I consider the worst and talk about why it actually has value. You know, I think is gonna is gonna be the right perspective to come from. But you know, a little bit of my own background history and why I chose this episode. Spider-Man has always been my favorite superhero ever as since I was. Be. As you should, yeah, he's, he's the best. <laughs> It is like because he represents the everyman, you know, like I said before, he was started out as a teenager in high school and then he was a college student and he's always just been this struggling New Yorker and, and he's got bills to pay and he's got school to do and he struggles with the relationships with with women and with his friends and he balances all of that with his superhero identity and the Sam Raimi films really, really get that part of the character and I think it's what drew me into superhero films to begin with, because this was my very first superhero film was the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man. And after that, I was obsessed with Spider-Man. I was I maybe four at the time. When did it, it was when did it come out? Like 2001, oh, 2003, 2001 or 2002. Like it was either late 2001 or early 2002 because it was okay. after September 11th because they right, had right. Uh, 
Yeah, that's right. They had that whole controversy with the uh, movie poster, and it had like the two yeah. the twin towers and yes. everything. Yeah. So no, I was six or seven then, but yeah, I remember that. Yeah, there was like, there were that entire reshoots that were done, um, and there's still you know promotional material featuring the twin towers. But man, Sam Raimi's Spider Man just drew me in. I fell in love with the character. I fell in love with the setting and the story, and I watched every single Spider-Man movie. I have watched every single Spider-Man movie since in theaters. Um, I think besides Homecoming. So almost every Spider-Man movie in theaters. And man, it has been a blast. But um, what about y'all? Man, I remember seeing the very first Spider-Man in the theaters, actually. I went with my uh, friends at the time. I mean, there was just so much hype around it. I mean... That was around the time where you first started seeing superhero movies kind of gaining some traction in cinema and everything. I mean, you just had X-Men come out recently. I think, like, Fantastic yeah. Four was uh, coming out around that time. But Spider-Man was the first one that truly nailed the character, nailed the settings. And it nailed everything about the comic, at least from what I remember. Because, I mean, I've said before, I'm not a huge comic book person. But, I mean, I really enjoyed the seeing him translated to film i mean and uh, spider-man 2 of course was all kinds of fun but this movie right here i mean i was watching it like just the other night and like i was listening to the we hate movies uh, episode of, of the their podcast on spider-man 3 as well and ju just watching it even with the closed caption it's just there's parts of it that can work sometimes and then there's other parts where it just drags you know <laughs> and that's even with the sound off and everything yeah, so for me, I, I feel like I've now realized I am substantially older than you two young ones. So you guys <laughs> were in the single digits when Spider-Man 1 came out. I would have been about 21. Maybe not so, Maybe not me. I'm a little older. I'm the oldest one uh, on the podcast. So okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I was around that age as well. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. That makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah. So yeah, I was about 21 when the first one came out, and I'd been reading comics since I was eight or nine years old. I've just, I mean, growing up, I don't have them anymore. It's one of those things where as I got older throughout college, I moved around so much and just had undependable family situations going on. I lost most of my childhood comics, but I used to have just boxes and boxes of comics. And I've since accrued to the point where I have boxes and boxes again. But I mean, so much of what I had was Spider-Man because he was the best. And then, yeah, the, the 2001 or 2002 Spider-Man came out, and I saw that in theaters. I'm sure I saw it opening weekend. If I recall correctly, it was the first movie in history to have a $100 million opening weekend. Uh, someone might correct me on that if I'm wrong, but I think I recall that being the case. I think and so, yeah. I will be I will be honest. I will give my my hot take, I guess, for this movie or for the, the, the franchise right off the bat here. I loved that movie in theaters, and subsequent rewatchings of the Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies just make me like them less and less. Uh. To the point where, like, I genuinely, and I will get into this, I think this one is vastly superior to the first one. Okay. I think the first one is rough. I think the second one's the best and uh, of the three, and it clearly is. I don't think you'll get much argument to that, but I actually think this one is at least as good as the first one. I may have a lot of nostalgic lens too with the original Spider-Man movie. I mean, for me, it just, I think it defined for me what a superhero movie should be, what a superhero villain should be, how what a superhero should be. So there's a lot of that, I think, affects my judgment of the other film. So I'll always hold the first Spider-Man film in regard, but 
I still wouldn't call that one my favorite. I got to say, as of right now, maybe Far From Home. It's a tough call. I, I think the best cinematic portrayal of Spider-Man, hands down, is the PS4 version. I'm just oh, going to go yeah. out there and say it. Yuri Lewinthal yeah. blew it out of the water. Yeah. Best cinematic portrayal of Spider-Man. And we talked about that in the Collateral Gaming episode on Spider-Man PS4. But, but man, if Tobey Maguire's portrayal wasn't the influential one for me, and is it, if it's not the scale by which I hold other Spider-Man portrayals too. I mean, and I really think that Tobey Maguire nailed the portrayal of Peter Parker best. And, and I've heard that a lot. Toby's the best Peter, Andrew's the best Spider-Man, and Tom Holland is the best combination. And I think I can somewhat agree with those sentiments. But I think, and that might have been why I related so much to Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker, was that he was nerdy and awkward, and he was bullied, and he didn't know how to talk to anyone. And so just seeing him grow from that into this superhero, you know, was monumental to me. And we see this character's journey grow, you know, and ultimately culminating in Spider-Man three, where I get, I guess we get to see some more of his flaws and we'll get into the characters in a little bit, but overall, you know, where do these movies place for you in comparison to the other live action adaptations? Uh, so for me, I think of the live ad action adaptations, I do think the MCU portrayal of Spider-Man is the best. Now, that's easy to say because it stepped right into an established universe and everything was already set in where it was going. And you were so eager for Spider-Man to finally appear that when he did, there was so little chance they were going to do anything wrong with it. Yeah. I know some people have issues with how they de facto replaced Uncle Ben with Tony Stark, but I think it works for that universe. Nobody wanted to see another Spider-Man movie where we had to sit through Uncle Ben dying again. So they just kind of said, eh, it happened off screen. You'll deal with it. And I, I feel the same way as you. Like, I also really liked the Amazing Spider-Man movies. I don't think they were great movies, especially the second one. But I thought Andrew Garfield did such a great Spider-Man. Yes. Like, he was quippy and he was a smartass. And, I mean, that's the Spider-Man I grew up uh, uh, appreciating. And with the McGuire and Raimi ones, like, they're all over the place for me. There's stuff about them I liked. And whenever I rewatch Spider-Man 3 for this... I realize, like, okay, there's stuff here that I really do appreciate, but there's other stuff where it feels just a little bit campy to me. Like, it, almost, it is. <laughs> almost like it's side-eyeing comic books as the whole. And I think that's what my thing is. The first time I rewatched Spider-Man 1, I remember the thing where, like, the Green Goblin goes jetting off into the sky, and he's like, we'll meet again, Spider-Man. And I was like, is this movie making fun of me? <laughs> <laughs> Is this movie like, that's what comic books are. You're dumb for liking them. And I don't know, like, I've never gotten past that for some reason. I think the Raimi films did the best job of, I guess, directly translating the feel of the comic books on screen. But the other movies did a better job of modernizing that and doing what maybe a superhero film should do, which is making it palatable for, you know, movie audiences. So there's kind of that debate there, whether... Do we like to see the comic books exactly as they are? Do we like that nostalgic feel? Or do we want to see something new? And do we want to see how this character is integrated into this universe? And I agree with you. I think the MCU has done a fantastic job of that. I don't disagree with any of the choices that they made because I think that it works to the character into their established universe. And, and integrating you know, Tony Stark into all of that, I think, is a high point. And the fact that all the villains kind of tie into that I think is something that's good. I think that it brings a sense of continuity that sometimes comics as a medium fail to have. 
But when you take this, when you when you look at the Raimi films as just like standalone, I mean, there's a lot of high points. There's a lot of that campiness too. The Andrew Garfield films, I will defend, you know, to my grave. I love them. <laughs> what they do do right. And I, and I think originally when I saw them, I liked them better than the Sam Raimi films. And then I kind of switched around and I think I, I kind of enjoyed some of the other stuff. But what about you, Bo? I can't really say much about the Andrew Garfield movies because I really still haven't watched them yet. But the uh, Raimi movies, I mean, to me, they work better as Raimi movies than they do as Spider-Man movies, if you catch my drift. Because, I mean, you see his style all over these movies. I mean, especially with a lot of the Evil Dead uh, callbacks and everything, and also, you know, having Bruce Campbell in pretty much every movie. Yes. I mean, first and foremost, uh, just as a fan of Sam Raimi, you know, I, I mean, I've been a fan of his going all the way back to Evil Dead and all of that. I mean, it really is exciting to watch from that perspective. Now, as superhero movies, I feel... You know, they're entertaining, but all these years later, maybe they kind of fall a little flat, especially now that we have the MCU and everything to kind of, you know, establish a new identity and a new kind of uh, framework for those characters and everything. But that's how I approach the Raimi films, you know, and I, and I approach the uh, Spider-Man MCU movies mainly as part of the MCU. I mean, just as a whole. They work together. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, the, the Raimi films starring Tobey Maguire stand on their own, which is a strength, I guess, we could give it. I'm glad that you started talking about Sam Raimi because I did want to get into his filmography a little bit because you're right. His style is just all over these movies. It's like he just he just went everywhere with it. You get just that uniquely campy feel and the Bruce Campbell cameos, which supposedly were going to go somewhere. I heard rumors that he's Quentin Beck. And yeah. like they were going to find some way to tie in all of it. And that would have been really cool to see. Yeah. It, it would yeah be great. I, I wish we would have seen that. I mean, it all would have been worth it if we would have gotten a fourth movie with that reveal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bruce Campbell is just such an awesome actor that to just see him used like that in the Raimi films would have been totally awesome. You know, it's kind of like, you know, James Gunn, you know, he throws like Lloyd Kaufman into Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like just a little shout out to, you know, trauma and everything. It's like, yeah. And Ted Raimi. Ted Raimi makes a cameo. In every single Spider-Man film. Oh, yeah, he's, he's pretty uh, much in every single Raimi film, you know? I mean, yeah, that's his bro. Yeah, he's uh, character Hoffman in the, the Daily Bugle. Yeah. yeah, Jay Jonas, little squirrel guy that keeps... Okay, that's who I thought that was. Okay. Hoffman! <laughs> Green Meanie. <laughs> I want pictures of Spider-Man! <laughs> I mean, that is the one thing I would absolutely say about the Raimi movies is, I mean, they got J.K. Simmons in that role, and, I mean, that was flawless. Yeah, well, they yeah, kind of spoiled that role for any other actor. Yeah, There's yeah, no one else is playing that to the point where when the MCU brought him back, oh, I guess spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Far From Home, but uh, the end credits, whenever you see him come back as J. Jonah Jameson, like, oh, I marked out so hard in the theater for that. Yeah, yes. it's just so yes. perfect, and you just have to go with it, you know, because he just nailed that character so flawlessly. Flawlessly. I mean, it is perfect. But but yeah, getting back into, into Sam Raimi... Where do some of his other works fit into this? You know, what is the background here? I totally would say that this is 100% in the Evil Dead universe, and it would have been awesome <laughs> if we would have got Spider-Man versus Evil Dead. <laughs> and if he would have met Ash, that would have been incredible. Hey, just so you know, Ash's real name is Ashley, and my name is Ashley. <laughs> so Groovy. <laughs> Groovy. Straight up. 
You know what? I was playing Resident Evil 7 the other day, and there's a scene where a character picks up a chainsaw and goes groovy. And uh, that's that was- exactly what that is. Yeah. 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 yeah there's well, going to be callbacks to that movie till the end of time. Those uh, <laughs> Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness are so great. Yeah. I, I have all three of those movies, and I just have to pull them out every now and again and just watch them, especially the first Evil Dead. I mean, that's such a comfort movie when it comes to horror okay. for me. You know? It's a it's straight up comfort food horror for me. I want to talk about Evil Dead at some point on the podcast. We will uh, definitely yeah. like we have to. <laughs> we did Intruders, uh, which was produced by Sam Raimi and featured uh, Sam Raimi, Ted Raimi, and Bruce Campbell. That was an interesting movie, especially it being a Full Moon production. Yeah. In terms of production, we've also got Laura Ziskin, A.V. Arid, and Grant Curtis. The only name I recognize among those is A.V. Arid because I think his name has been attached to every single Spider-Man movie. Yeah, he was almost like the proto-Kevin Feige for Marvel for a while. Like Before there was a a Marvel Studios, A.V. Arid did all their stuff on, on, you know, all the Fox and Sony stuff. Man, it would have been cool to kind of see the universe come together because, you know, what's funny is there's a reference in Spider-Man 2 where he goes, you know, I've got, uh, he's like, what about Dr. Strange? And they're naming, you know, uh, trying to come up with names for Dr. Octopus. And JJJ is like, that's good, but it's already taken. <laughs> and, and it's almost like, what if they built a cinematic universe around the Raimi films, you know? And I think yeah. at the time that would have included the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. And I mean, how cool would that have been for Eric Bana's Hulk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would bring it down a bit. <laughs> oh, man. Raimi, of course, was also involved in the writing of both the story and the screenplay. And we've got Ivan Raimi, who I guess is his other brother, Sam and, yeah, and, and I, Ted and, and, and Ivan. I, yeah, I would older imagine brother so. And Alvin Sargent contributed to the screenplay. One interesting tidbit about Spider-Man 3 was at its time, it was the most expensive film ever made. Oh, I was unaware of that. Yeah. It doesn't look it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> okay, you know what? The CG doesn't always look good, and the movie does feel dated, and it, it doesn't hold up. But, man, they did some creative things with some of the fight sequences. Yeah, yeah. Which we'll also get into later. But, yeah, I mean, that's something that's interesting. Kind of a down point for me was that uh, the soundtrack was, uh, instead of being composed by Danny Elfman, who did the previous two, and God did a brilliant job. We've got Christopher Young, who doesn't do terrible, and obviously they bring uh, Elfman's main themes back into the movie, but kind of a disappointment to not hear his name attached to it. Although, and the reason being supposedly was that he had difficulties working with Raimi, or quote-unquote the miserable time. Uh So make of that what you will. I just have to ask, why didn't they just get Nickelback to make all the soundtracks? Nickelback (laughs) and Saliva. (laughs) We, it it should have just been that, that hero song. Hero, can say I love how that music video has like Spider-Man just like swinging in the background and shit. Like, <laughs> and, and that song has no actual meaning whatsoever. The lyrics like mean nothing. I swear to God. Hey, hey you take that back. Nickelback is an artist. Oh God, <laughs> Jesus. But any other comments to add as far as production goes? As far as the overall trilogy, the Raimi trilogy, I mean, it's it's definitely, you know, competently made, like especially with Spider-Man 2, which, you know, we said was like the magnum opus of the series. But I mean, yeah, the CG has more or less 
aged poorly. Like even in Spider-Man Three, it hasn't aged that well. Although I will say the Sandman, like for its time, was actually a pretty good effect. It almost kind of reminded me of like in the Mummy, you know, like Brandon Fraser movie with all the uh, sand and everything. But yeah, I thought the I thought the Sandman was really good. The the main points in this movie that threw me off were. Parts where Spider-Man was in the costume, either fighting Venom or Green Goblin, the way he was hopping around, I just couldn't help but watch him and be like, that's a computer cartoon. That's not a real person. 100%, yeah. Yeah, but no, I thought the Sandman was good, especially the scene where he uh, first comes into being, when he's in the little... Yes, that is a turns him into Sandman, and he tries to pick up the the locket. That looked really good. Yeah, and that's a that is a beautiful scene. I got to say, hands down, one of the best scenes in the trilogy. And I mean, just without any dialogue whatsoever, they perfectly captured this emotion and you feel it. And the score is good. The effects are good. Well, the biggest part of that is Thomas Thomas Hayden Church is the biggest part of that. One hundred percent. You know, he 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 pretty much sold that character so well that I would actually like to see him back as the Sandman in the future. Like, I mean, if they're going to bring Jamie Foxx back as Electro, they can bring yeah. Thomas Hayden yeah. Church back as Sandman, like, without a doubt. Yeah, I'd be and much the, more excited for that Yeah, <laughs> Jamie Foxx Electro. And, and also they Michael Keaton. Sorry, Ash. Michael Keaton made a, an appearance in the most recent Spider-Man movie, right? Or is he making uh, an appearance somewhere or what? Yeah, he was in, in Homecoming. Homecoming. Oh, yeah. I got you. Okay. Yeah. He plays the Vulture and may come back in a future role, but... They, they kind of left him on a note of more sympathetic. But I, I do like how they left Thomas Hayden Church's Sandman on a good note because, I mean, they wrapped up his story arc, but he could make future appearances. I mean, he's still around. Yeah. You know, he didn't die, unlike the other two villains. But that's one of the things, I guess, that's most criticized when it comes to the story is that unlike the previous two uh, Raimi Spider-Man films where... You know, you had these just one single villain per movie that was built up whose personal relationship with Peter prior to becoming a villain, you know, was built. And then, you know, there you get this kind of sympathetic look into them, both with, you know, uh, Norman Osborn and with Otto Octavius. And then ultimately even still ending on a sympathetic note and just the constant dynamic push. And, and they're in, involved in both Peter Parker and Spider-Man's lives, which is what made them so compelling. This movie kind of crams a lot of villains into it. And on one hand, you've got Harry Osborn, who I guess meets all of that because he's been with us the entire time. And he's intimately involved in both Peter Parker and Spider-Man's life. But he also takes kind of a back seat for a good chunk of the film and isn't around as a villain. And then when he does come back, he's a hero. And so, you know, but, and you've also got him competing for screen time with Venom, who is probably one of the most severely underutilized characters. And I think part of that was that Sam Raimi doesn't like Venom and didn't want to include him or the symbiote storyline and was kind of pushed into it by creative uh, intervention. Yeah, that, that's pretty rough, honestly. I mean, especially who they actually chose for that role, Topher Grace. I mean, he, he's great when he's in the right role, but this just wasn't the role for him. I mean, he's supposed to play this really kind of down, like kind of creepy person. And I don't know, as Eric Foreman, I can only I can only see him as Eric Foreman. I mean, he's likable, <laughs> you know? 
he's just too fresh faced and funny. And yeah, he was never going to work as Eddie Brock. It was bad casting. And it's, it's to the point with this movie where you can almost tell how much Sam Raimi didn't care because he just kind of walks on screen at one point and is like, I'm Eddie Brock. And it's <laughs> yes. like, oh, what an introduction to this character. Thanks. He just and walks I'm dating on your stage. daughter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, it's like you come up with a better way to shoehorn him in. It's just the quickest exposition ever. Yes. Honestly, I will say the way that this movie treats the symbiote saga storyline is actually one of the better parts of it, despite the fact that it wasn't what was you know originally uh, meant to the film, and it's what was teased in all the promotional artwork. Parts of it are not done well, but I mean the idea of Peter having this more aggressive persona um, actually wasn't in the comics. That was added. And that's one of the things that Sam Raimi does well. I also like one part of the of the story that I guess we kind of take for granted that wasn't in the original comics is back in the very first Spider-Man when Peter lets the guy get away who ends up killing Uncle Ben. In the original comics, it was kind of just more like, oh, yeah, he um, I, I'm tired of everyone throwing me around. And it, it almost seems a little uncharacteristic. It's kind of weird. But in, in the first Spider-Man movie, you actually feel a sense of justice because, okay, this guy cheated Peter out of his money and this is Peter, you know, kind of getting him back. Well, yeah, it's, you know, I missed the part where that's my problem. And you're kind of like, yeah, that showed him. I wanted to talk about that because that's such an integral part of the movie that to me just seemed naturally like that's what should have been there. And the same thing with the symbiote saga storyline with the symbiote making Peter more aggressive. And, and making ruining the relationships in his life. Emo Peter is the unfortunate side effect of that. What do you mean unfortunate, Ash? It's the best part of the movie. <laughs> okay. I, I might not disagree with that, actually. I, when I was re-watching it, I was expecting, like, okay, we're getting to Emo Peter, and that's going to be a thing. I genuinely laughed out loud because I had forgotten how silly it is. And I had complained earlier where the first Spider-Man maybe felt really campy to me, but this felt like leading into the camp like they knew what they were doing and they were like ah just piss on it just just do whatever we want with this here whereas in the first movie it just felt like a little cheaper this movie was just like now they know what they're doing and i appreciate this i appreciate spider-man dancing (laughs) okay i'm here for that i'm gonna ask mj to marry me a man has to put his wife before himself can you do that peter yeah I think I can. We have some new information. This is your uncle's actual killer. We lost his trail two days ago. This man killed my uncle, and he's still out there. Everybody needs help sometimes, Peter. Even Spider-Man. Revenge is like a poison can take us over before you know it can turn you into something ugly the suit where'd this come from the power feels good you lose yourself to it whoa spidey love the new outfit Remember Ben Parker? What does it matter to you anyway? Everything! Do you want to push me away? Why would I want to push you away? I love you. You knew this was coming, Pete. I didn't kill your father!
We have to forgive each other, or everything we ever were will mean nothing. I need your help. I have to stop it. This could be the end of Spider-Man. introduce my duality into that because i did i did shit on it right but when i rewatched this movie i had the same you know feeling as you and that in particular is the reason why i actually picked this movie because god damn the meme quality <laughs> and, and you're right it's self-aware camp it's just straight up goofy it's just when you compare it to the previous two films which stand on their own two feet for being in my opinion genuinely good movies this is good for completely different reasons it's like it's good for the same reason that the room is good if you know what i mean <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Except it's intentional, and I'll yeah, give it that. yeah, I, yeah. I think this one more knew what it was doing than the room, but yeah, it knew what it was doing. But <laughs> oh, could you imagine just, if Tommy McGuire would have just done a "You're tearing me apart, yeah. apart"? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I laughed out loud. It is hilarious just to see him just just get on. And what's weird is that some of the observers seem to be like into him, and then some of them are like repulsed by him. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering, because the first time he starts acting like that, all the women are looking at him like, oh, hey. And then as it goes on and you see him doing it again down the street, all the women seem to be repulsed by him. And I wondered if the movie was playing with perspective there, where the first time you're getting Peter's perspective and he thinks like, yeah, I'm hot. All these women are into me. And then the second time it's more pulled back and you're getting like a this is what's actually happening. <laughs> okay, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. I mean, that, that scene, just the camp alone is worth watching it, man. I mean, I could watch that scene over and over again, just that dancing. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> Especially in the club with uh, with Gwen Stacy. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, when he gets the microphone and, like, whispers into it. Oh, yeah. man. That, it's total cringe, but I totally get what you're saying about that, man. I mean, it's almost like just a dual perspective in a way. And I mean, that that's actually kind of a cool little element that Raimi threw into this movie. And it works too, because if you're taking this perspective of Peter's a dork and Peter's a loser and everything, like that's what a dorky loser would think a cool guy is. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I will say that the serious moments again of the symbiote stuff does work pretty effectively here. And despite the fact that maybe wasn't in Raimi's original plans, he really works with what he has. I like how they tied it into the original story with Uncle Ben, you know, and when with seeking Uncle Ben's killer and with this vengeance suddenly consuming his life. And then he's throwing away his marriage with or not marriage, his relationship with Mary Jane at the same time and and driving people away. And so I will say that he did a really effective job of taking something that he didn't want in the film and actually com effectively combining it into the plot. Yeah, I think Raimi kind of shit on Venom, the character, but yes. the symbiote stuff did work for me, especially the second time when I watched it. And the because you get in this movie, so much of the Spider-Man mythos are about the Peter Parker luck. And this movie starts off with just everything coming up Millhouse for Peter and his life is great. Yes. And then he gets the symbiote and Mary Jane gets down on her luck and things start getting progressively worse for him. And you see the the obsession with the symbiote and how it starts affecting him. And that was really interesting. 
And it was so well done. And then, yeah, like, we just kind of get the symbiote going off onto Brock. And then you could tell Raimi just didn't care about that part. And he was just like, and here's just a guy with teeth. I don't know. And that's really, <laughs> that's really sad because I kind of feel like had this movie actually gone off the whole symbiote uh, storyline, it, it actually probably would have been a better movie, I think, if they would have just made Venom the main character. I mean, but, well, you know, Raimi wasn't having any of that. What if we just had it so that Venom was just at the very end? Like Peter rips off the suit and he ends up fighting the main villain as regular Spider-Man. And then we tease Venom coming into the next film. Yeah, that would have been perfect, honestly. Instead of shoehorning him into the last act and fighting for screen time with Sandman and the new Goblin. And and honestly, as far as villains go, we've also got Peter himself. So we've got essentially like four villains to deal with in this movie. I feel like this movie, you're you're nailing it right on the head. Like, this movie did a little bit good with each villain, but they were all let down by the fact that none of them was handled appropriately well. Like, Sandman was acted tremendously by Thomas Hayden Church, but his storyline just felt like it's out of nowhere. Like, oops, two movies in, here's this guy actually killed Uncle Ben, and it just felt so shoved in. The story wasn't interesting. Yeah. But boy, Hayden Church did such a good job, and, and his power set is so interesting. And then with Venom, yeah, all the symbiote stuff when it was on Peter, so engaging. It's like, oh, look at this character having his fall from grace and how will he get past it? But then when the symbiote left and went to Brock, it was just like, all right, now you did nothing with it. And the Harry stuff, the Harry stuff was probably the best throughout. If this movie wanted to limit itself to one plot, it should have been Harry. Because yeah. that's that had been built up for two previous movies, and you get to this, and James Franco is just nailing everything he does. Highly underrated meme from this movie is his, uh, so good. Yes. <laughs> eating whatever, the breakfast or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, just the nefariousness he brings or the innocence he brings whenever he's lost his memory. That storyline is really good, but it's just like, oh, and then he has a baby face turn at the end just out of nowhere because his butler's like, oh, yeah. Let me exposit some plot for you. You couldn't have done that two movies ago, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> why, why did he just let Harry sit on that information? <laughs> exactly. You know, or, or it would have taken like Peter maybe two seconds to explain the situation. <laughs> like, yeah. Damn but it, Remy. <laughs> I, I do agree that the Harry stuff is actually really good. It honestly deserved its own film. I think if maybe they had just kept Symbiote and Harry in, it would have been awesome. Um, yeah. Give yeah, Sandman I, his own film. I feel like. It's a crime to say knock Hayden Church out of this, Thomas Hayden Church out of this movie. But yeah, like his story just feels the least useful to everything else that's going on. It you doesn't could connect have done, in any way. Yeah, you could have done the Peter getting darker and angrier because of what Harry is doing. It didn't have to be tied into, oh, Sandman actually killed Uncle Ben. Oops. In a way that almost invalidates the entire first movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, because the whole thing was that he became Spider-Man because he let Uncle Ben's, Ben's killer go. And then we find out that Sandman did it the whole time. And, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of odd. Yeah. But yeah, with, with great power comes great responsibility. But no matter what you did, Uncle Ben was going to get shot. So what's the point? Right. But I will say, yeah, for what Sandman does on his side of the story, not involved in Peter Parker's life is really good. It yeah. kind of comes out of nowhere. What would um, how would y'all feel about an actual origin story for Sandman as his own movie, kind of a la Joker? Like, what would y'all say to that? It's interesting. Sandman is like 
C-list as far as Spidey villains goes, but he has a pretty good history in the comics of being this tormented character who has tried to be a hero and failed at it. So as far as storylines go, he'd be about as interesting as anyone else. It's just... Yeah, like, I don't know that he would be the first one I would think of, but the story is there. Yeah, He's kind of a B-tier villain, so, you know, it's kind of hard, but he has been a part of the Sinister Six, so we'll give him that. He's been an Avenger. Maybe the MCU will bring him in. There you go. (laughs) Maybe so. There you go. Phase phase eight of the MCU, Sandman's on the Avengers. Oh, my God. Well, I think they technically did bring Sandman in with the uh, the element. Oh, yeah. Fair play, yeah. Oh, shit, yeah. But... Also, I wanted to talk about one of the other subplots throughout the movie, of course, is as Peter's and MJ's relationship, which for the first time in the trilogy actually kind of takes some realistic turns. You know, they, they you kind of realize that these two characters that were immature and didn't really know how to love or are thrown into the situation where they're forced to learn how to love, which, so to speak, is to learn the most frustrating things about a person that you can't stand and then learning how to, you know, how to stand them. And you see Peter up on his luck for once and doing great, but MJ's going down, you know, and he's not there for her and she's starting to feel more and more lonely. In some ways, I do feel they bastardized her character a little bit, but, you know, being someone that has been married myself and dealing with emotional issues, you know, and dealing with the relationship stuff, I actually kind of understood this time around the way that MJ felt, and I was able to empathize with her better. Yeah, for me, Mary Jane is one of the low points of the the Raimi trilogy. Like, in the first two movies, she's just a damsel in distress. She's just a prize to be won. She doesn't really have any character. And then this movie gives her a character, but it kind of makes her a shrew. Like, I don't want to hate Mary Jane. I don't want her to be like, no, it has to be all about me. And I get that Peter's being selfish, and she has her own stuff going on, and I applaud Raimi and the writers for giving her an actual character arc for once, which she didn't have in the first two. But she just comes across as like one of those female characters in fiction that it's so easy to hate because it seems like she's just nagging on the the, the protagonist. She's like the Skylar White from Breaking Bad of this movie. But to be fair, that's kind of how women can be sometimes. (laughs) And anybody that has been in a long term relationship (laughs) can tell you that, you know, it's and I say that as a married man. okay, like. Women, those are real emotions that women feel. And they see things that, you know, for instance, Peter kisses Gwen. He doesn't think anything of it. He literally does not think. And at first he think that was kind of a dick move. But then he realized, like, he literally just did not think anything of it. You know, he was fully planning on marrying her. And he knew she was in the audience. So he just legitimately thought, yeah, this is no big deal. This is just an act. And, and she took that personally, you know? So you, you get to see kind of that aspect played out finally. The one thing I guess I really don't like about this movie is the kind of the unsatisfying note that they leave on their relationship. Cause I almost feel like it does, doesn't really feel resolved. No, you know, not, not at all. Honestly. I, and, and that's really the most frustrating thing about this movie. And also just bringing in Gwen Stacy like they did just simply to be a foil for Mary Jane. I don't think that that was really done all that well. Yeah, no, I like Bryce Dallas Howard. She is at least incredibly pleasant to look at, so I didn't mind that she was on screen. <laughs> but yeah, her her character is just a, you know, a, a plot device. Yeah. Let's create some some uh, tragedy for Peter and Mary Jane, and that's all she serves. That, that's Bryce Dallas yeah. Howard, right? Yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard, yeah. Oh, yeah, and, okay. Kind of a kind of a mistreatment of both the Gwen Stacy character and Bryce Dallas Howard as an actress. Yeah. You know, just kind of have her take such a minimal role in the film. I got to say, Gwen Stacy was treated 
so much better in the Amazing Spider-Man films. If there's one thing that I think everybody can agree was actually really good about those, you know, even the people that hate it, Peter and, and Gwen's relationship was done really, really well. And Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone have some amazing chemistry on screen. Yeah, the funny thing there is the Raimi movies essentially wrote Mary Jane as Gwen Stacy, and the Andrew McGuire movies essentially wrote Gwen Stacy as Mary Jane. Like, if yeah. you look at them compared to their comic personalities, Gwen is the more demure, kind of like she's just there, she's in love with Peter, and that's her whole character, which was Mary Jane from the first trilogy. And then Emma Stone comes in as Gwen Stacy, and she's powerful, and she wants to do things on her own, and she's a very fully realized character and that's mary jane from the comics so it's like boy you guys should have just switched names <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah right but yeah so peter and mary jane it, it's kind of just more of this fantasy throughout the films and you want them to be together because it's what peter wants but in some cases the chemistry does feel a little forced and they do have some really awkward lines that i kind of don't understand what what they mean to this day you know why does he say i hunch what was the what was the point of that what does that mean <laughs> I hunch? <laughs> what? I, I don't know. I don't poetry. remember that from the movie. <laughs> what the hell? She goes, you're taller than you look. I hunch. Oh, don't. my God. <laughs> what does that mean? I, I don't hunch. understand. I hunch down. I'm a hunchback, babe. Just call me Quasimodo, <laughs> that's babe. Like the old, that's like the old, like, how don't people know Superman is Clark Kent? And it's always like, oh, he has bad posture and he messes up his hair and wears glasses. It's like, all right. Oh, yeah, that, there you go. What we're translating here, we're like, oh, you don't know he's Spider-Man because he hunches. You know, uh, I, I was in the neighborhood. <laughs> he doesn't even bother changing his voice. And I love how at the end of Spider-Man 2, she's like, I guess I think I always knew. No, no you didn't. <laughs> it was so obvious. <laughs> how do you not figure that out? Okay, here's Peter. He's going through some weird shit in high school. He beats up the school bully out of nowhere. Suddenly, Spider-Man comes around. Suddenly, Peter doesn't have time in my life, and he's busy all of the time, and he's never around. You know, you think as close as she was to him, she would have figured it out much sooner. I mean, for fuck's sake, Aunt May figured it out. Yeah. And you can tell she did. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, yeah, no, she definitely... And you would think that, you know, Mary Jane would have noticed what with, you know, all the physical changes that he went through literally overnight. I mean, he pretty much buffed out, like, overnight because yeah. of his spider bubbly. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, how could you not see that, you know, the formerly, you know, gangly, skinny nerd kid is all of a sudden, like, beefed up and looks like he could fuck somebody up? I mean, <laughs> wow, how could you miss that? But, yeah, I mean, we've got... Basically, most of the main cast back, including Rosemary Harris as Mae Parker, and she does a great job. And we've also got um, some new characters like uh, Captain George Stacy, and we've even got some other appearances in the movie. I mean, Dr. Kurt Connors, played by Dylan Baker, reprises his role from Spider-Man 2. Obviously, I think they were eventually building up a lizard villain. You've got Willem Dafoe, who makes several appearances throughout the film, just a taunt Harry and God, every time Willem Dafoe is on screen is a pretty cool moment. Oh, yeah, indeed. They, they invented the term chewing scenery for Willem Dafoe in the Spider-Man movies. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and even Cliff Robertson playing Uncle Ben in his actual final performance on film before his death in 2011. You know, he, he, he makes a brief return, although he's kind of unrecognizable. In that one, like, flashback scene, I, I literally thought they replaced the actor, but no, it's him. Yeah, he is much older looking in this movie, yeah. And, of course, we have our Stan Lee cameo. And, you know, 
it really is a touching one this time. And looking back in retrospect after his passing, it is one of the more memorable ones. And you look back and it almost brings a tear to your eye. You know, I, I guess one person can make a difference. Oh, God rest his soul. Um, rest and, in peace, Dan. And, and, I, and I do think Bruce Campbell's cameo in this one is the most fun out of the three. Uh, yeah, I think he has the most to work with here. He didn't have a very big role in the second one he's just like the doorman at the play and the first one he has a fairly decent role but it seems like he's in it the most in this one or might at least have the most lines yeah but i guess kind of working in our way back into the cinematography what were you guys thoughts on that it's definitely serviceable I mean, at least in the scenes where there's no CGI, the, the, the CGI parts, you know, it obvious, it's very obvious. But I mean, I'm watching uh, the scene in the restaurant where uh, MJ and uh, Peter are, you know, they're having their first, you know, breakup and everything. And from what I can see, I mean, the lighting is right on, you know, I mean, there's nothing too dark, nothing too bright. And I mean, it's not like you get a whole lot of uh, outside of some of the more Raimi-esque uh, sh shots. I mean, you don't get anything that's really like, you know, high art here, of course. But in the scenes where, you know, Raimi's obviously calling back to some of his earlier movies. I mean, it, it really works well. I like before, like I said, some of the action sequences are really fun. Like that one scene where Peter's out of the mask, out of the suit and fighting Harry as the new goblin. You know, he just comes out of nowhere. And, and I guess we can attribute his spider sense not going off due to heavy emotions he was feeling at the time. I'm just going to chalk it up to that and not a plot hole. I have read enough Spider-Man comics to know that writers hate working around the spider sense and just sometimes don't. So I just allow it. I'm like, that's fine. I get it. Writers hate it because it's it's so OP if you actually consider it. Like, how can you have your character ever be surprised when one of his superpowers is literally can't be surprised? Right. So a lot of times writers and now screenwriters are just like, ah, whatever. So I, I'm fine with it. I've seen enough of it in the comics. Maybe we could just attribute it to the fact that, that Peter is human and, you know, he doesn't always understand these things. And when his emotions are, that's my headcanon. But you're right. I think it's hand waved a lot. Maybe there's just yeah. not any thought put into it. But man, that scene is pretty cool to see him, you know, just kind of swinging around. And then he just flip, 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 flip you know, in the air. And then he does the tripwire thing and. Yeah, that's the most noteworthy action scene of the movie, I think. That's that's better than the the climax. That's better than the Spider-Man and, and Sandman fights. I think that's the most engaging. And maybe it's because, you know, Spider-Man doesn't have his costume on at the moment, and you it, it just feels higher stakes. He's yeah. trying to save the engagement ring during the fight. He's He's been, you know, attacked out of nowhere by his best friend. They have a very claustrophobic fight in the alleyway. I think it's just the most well done. I think if anybody has any problems with this movie, they should at least rewatch that fight scene because it's really good. It might be the best in the entire franchise. Can you imagine? I don't know. That Doc Ock fight on the train is hard to beat. <laughs> the train is good, yeah. yeah, but I always end up just thinking about him doing the, the saving. The like, so I kind of separate that from the fight itself. Like, that's the best moment of the franchise, but I always just think of that as just a moment of him saving the train. But it, it's a fair point. The fight against Sandman, I'm glad you brought it up, too, because that is brutal. Um, and kind of seeing this darker side of Spider-Man really just try to kill Sandman, which is so uncharacteristic. You know, uh, Aunt May is the one that brings it. Spider-Man doesn't kill, you know, and I, I guess he's never had like a really strict no kill rule, but he just doesn't kill as a rule of thumb. Well, in the comics, he's one of the very biggest for like, oh, I will never kill. It's like he and Batman are the two that like, 
any other superhero in the world may kill somebody if they have to, but you don't have Batman kill and you don't have Spider-Man kill. I like how they had incorporated that into the PS4 game because even if you knock villains off of roofs, they still get... Yeah, like, he, like, shoots hell. a web and saves them at the last second, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, that's cool. And, and the Raimi suit in... Oh, I just want to... just I know this is a side tangent, but... I love when they brought the Raimi suit into the PS4 game as like, yeah. a, man, the strings that Insomniac Games had to pull to make that happen. God, <laughs> never ask them for anything again. But it was so cool getting <laughs> to swing around. And, you know, and even the music is kind of similar to Elfman's score. Just a side note. But as far as, I guess, like the release goes, at the time, this movie actually was incredibly highest grossing. It it was the highest gross. It is you know, still the highest grossing film of the Raimi trilogy and was the third highest grossing film of the year it came out, 2007. It holds a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, which given the amount of hate that this movie gets, seems a little odd. I don't know. Yeah, that, that's a little high, actually. I'm kind of surprised. I figured it'd be at least like 54, 55% maybe. Audience score, I think, is like 51 or something. But yeah. Oh, wow. Ouch. But um, Raimi himself is actually not proud of, of Spider-Man 3. He calls it, literally an awful film oh jeez! i knew he didn't love it i never heard that quote that's interesting he did call it that and and it's actually kind of the reason why he didn't make spider-man 4 he felt pushed into a lot of the decisions that were made into this film and he kind of got this writer's block and just kind of wasn't feeling it and he let them go ahead and reboot the franchise and that's when we got the amazing spider-man this movie did win one award from the golden trailer which was the best summer blockbuster Wow. nominated for some <laughs> others but you know as a whole okay why do you think this movie is considered a letdown compared to the other Raimi films I honestly think it boils down entirely to the villain situation like yeah. I don't think people wanted to have three villains in one movie and as we've touched on none of them was done a hundred percent well with Harry probably being the closest so I think people just look at it as the third act in particular is such a mess where it's just so much going on so many moving pieces and we're back to using Mary Jane as a damsel in distress that he has to save and it just feels like all right we've done this the two other movies why are we still relying on this and yeah the i don't know like i guess the special effects were never great in these movies especially in the first one there are some moments that were really like mm. but yeah the scene at the end where he's fighting venom boy it just looks so bad <laughs> i kind of feel like instead of mary jane being the damsel in distress it should have been gwen stacy there i mean it could have been like something with eddie brock and he's all obsessed with her and everything I mean, I don't mm -hmm. know if that's characteristic of them in the, from the comics or anything, but I kind of feel like that probably would have been a little more compelling, honestly. And like when Stacy died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, that's what happens. Yeah. I got to agree with you. Yeah. It's got to be that just messy third story arc and just kind of the convoluted and, and, and messy subplots all over the movie. But goddamn, if it is not fun. <laughs> it is it honestly is it's not a movie that i'm ever bored while i'm watching it has a lot of flaws but like i don't ever sit and watch spider-man 3 and think like boy i wish i was doing literally anything else like it's it's an enjoyable movie and for being a movie that's two hours and 20 minutes long it doesn't feel like it and, and out of all the raimi memes that are out there because there's a whole meme subculture around the, the Raimi Spider-Man films. This movie has the, is like the biggest source of memes. 
Oh yeah. Well, I don't know. Spider Man One has a lot of memes, but yeah, just just the emo Peter <laughs> and the pie seed God, <laughs> I do love that so good. You know, and and apparently, you know, there were plans for Spider Man Four. We've heard, I've heard different things. I don't know if maybe Raimi was going to make the same mistake and try to shoehorn so many villains into it, or maybe if they these were just at different points. But I I heard that they were going to finally you know, actualize Kurt Connors as the lizard in a future installment. Bring John Malkovich as the vulture. There yeah, were talk- I, wait, wait, John, John Malkovich, Malkovich as the vulture? What? Yeah, apparently there were plans to make that happen. Oh, damn, we missed out on that, I think. Shit. <laughs> I mean, Malkovich <laughs> and, and is ha- a great actor. Yeah. yeah Anne Hathaway was going to be uh, Felicia Hardy, which is kind of weird because she yeah, already she- did. Catwoman, wow. but we'll allow it. Apparently, yeah. she, at some point, she was gonna maybe play a character called the Vultress. Oh wow! Okay, and was gonna like cause conflict in Peter and Mary Jane's romantic life, which I'm kind of like, why would you do that again? Yeah, they just did that in three. You know, and like I said before, bringing Bruce Campbell in as Mysterio, I've heard that before, but apparently Sam Raimi had had the script rewritten three times with different writers and just never liked it. And so he let Sony reboot the franchise that I know you're, I think the exact quote is something like, like, I know you're planning on rebooting it anyway. Just do it. Yeah. And, and it's fine. I mean, like I, I know the opinions on the amazing Spider-Man movie are all over the place, but I also enjoyed those movies. I think amazing Spider-Man two fails for the same reason that this movie does. And there's too many villains. Yeah. Why do they never learn? That? <laughs> they don't learn that lesson. They really never do. Although I'll tell you what, I think, we haven't mentioned it probably because it's not live action, but I think the single best Spider-Man movie ever made was Into the Spider-Verse, and there were a ton of villains in there. Into the Spider-Verse is good, and the only reason why it's not higher on my list is because I just I more prefer a Peter Parker-centric story, but it is damn good, and they really understand the Spider-Man universe, and that deserves more mention than it gets. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I love Spider-Verse so much. <laughs> Spider-Verse it's is great. great. Supposedly, there were plans to... or not planned. There are rumors around that you were mentioning it earlier that maybe Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield might make it into Spider-Man three or a future live action Spider-Verse. Yeah. It's been leaked that they're involved. I don't know that any side has officially confirmed it, but, uh, uh, I forget the website, but they had a, an unnamed source who is working on Spider-Man three, who has come out and said like, yeah, they're in it. Okay. I've heard conflicting things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, it's certainly not, you know, the directors haven't come out and been like, yep, like with Jamie Foxx, we know he's in it. We know he's coming in. I I will say before we wrap this up here that I have an idea, okay? This is what I want to see happen because we know Sam Raimi is directing Multiverse of Madness, the new Doctor Strange movie, something we forgot to mention with the filmography earlier. And I'm super excited about that. It's going to be awesome. And it's a perfect moment to bring in Tobey Maguire as just a cameo appearance. We don't oh, have to yeah. see him as Spider-Man, but just allude to the fact that this is the Spider-Man from this universe. And I will say, I would love to see a Spider-Man 4, and I think it's the perfect point to do it because we'll, we'll see Sam Raimi come back in a big role and be a big-name director. Sony will want to do it because people are literally begging for it. And also, we've seen that there's success with an older Spider-Man, as we've seen in Into the Spider-Verse, with an older, you know, kind of more jaded Peter Parker. We could let Tobey Maguire be that older Peter Parker, although I guess I kind of see him more as the Chris Pine Peter Parker than the Jake Johnson Peter Parker, because I, I want to picture his life as successful, and he's had an amazing, <laughs> an amazing marriage with Mary Jane after this. working out for him. Yeah, and, and he's, been mar- he's been married to Mary Jane for all these years, and he's Spider-Man, and, and he's doing great. And, and I'm just saying it is the perfect opportunity to do that. 
Although, if the rumors are true about him coming into the Spider-Verse, then we've got nothing to worry about. Hello. Mr. Parker, Dr. Connors here. Oh, Dr. Connors. How are you? Quite a specimen you left me, Parker. Its chemistry is not unlike the chondritic meteorites of the 70s. Thanks. <clears throat> That's good. You know it, Parker? Parker? Give me some milk. It amplifies characteristics of its host. Mm. Hey, give me another cookie. Especially aggression. Oh. Mm. This could be dangerous. Peter, you didn't keep any, did you? You got any with nuts? Um, I have some nuts. I could make some. Go make me some. Peter? No, no, no. Of course not. Your shots are so good. I'd love to shoot you sometime. Peter Parker. Peter. Parker! Miss Brent? That's not the position I hired you for. Black suit Spider-Man. Peter, these are incredible. You gotta have these, Jonah. I'll pay you the usual rate. If you want the shots, I'll take the staff job. Double the money. I guess we'll kind of get into our final thoughts here, and we'll start with our guest. Uh, yeah, so like I said, it's it's a fun movie. It has a lot of warts, and you can't pretend that it doesn't. The CGI is bad. The third act is a mess. But I mean, I genuinely do think it's better than people give it credit for, and I wholeheartedly enjoy this one more than the first one. And I haven't brought this up, but I love this so much. I remembered this, and to make sure that I wasn't wrong, I Googled it, and it is true. Before this movie came out, they did the best stunt I've ever seen where, you know how the movie will release the cast list and they'll maybe tell you who the characters are, maybe they won't. They listed Rosemary Harris on the cast list for this movie in 2006 as Rosemary Harris as Aunt May slash Carnage. And boy, <laughs> I would have wanted to see that so much. That's that amazing. Is great. That's the best stunt ever. Because I just remember her hearing that and thinking like, was that true? Was that a fever dream? But I looked it up and like, no, they IMDB definitely did that. And man, I, I would have been here for that. I want Rosemary Harris playing Carnage all the time now. Well, <laughs> now we've got Woody Harrelson going to be Carnage yeah. in the new Venom movie. And whatever the like Sony's doing with their own universe that yeah. may be part of the MCU, may not be. I don't know. I hope they don't make a mess of it. <laughs> they will, I think. <laughs> they will. Yeah. But yeah. Venom was pretty good. I liked Venom. Tom Hardy is definitely a better Venom than Topher fucking Grace. <laughs> By a long shot. Yeah, Jeez. absolutely. I don't think there's any argument there. That movie was fun in spite of itself. Yeah. And I'm excited about Jared Leto's Morbius as well. And whatever happens with the third Spider-Man film in the uh, MCU, what, whatever they're going to call it that features home in the title. Bo, what are your final thoughts? Like I said before, I'm not a huge comic book or superhero fan, but I am also a Raimi fan. And as a Raimi movie, as I said before, this is great. It's fantastic if you approach it like that. As a Spider-Man movie, it's just merely okay. There's certain parts that, you know, it hits the mark, and then there's other parts where it just drags. Like, 
Like like the two hour running time, it kind of gets a little, you know, a little sluggish after a while. But then when you get to the point where, you know, where Harry, he's uh, starting to remember like who he is and everything. And then he becomes a new Green Goblin. And then you start wrapping up to the end. It, it, it starts to get a little more interesting. But I think that just coming from it as, as a movie nerd or a, a cinephile or even just a casual movie fan, it, it's entertaining. It's just certain parts of it is it's just not going to be 100 percent on all the time. So, I mean, I recommend people watch this movie. Just, you know, take it with many, many, many grains of salt, you know. Ah, I see yeah. what you did there. <laughs> yeah. Many grains. <laughs> well said. There are things I really love about what this movie does. There are some things that it kind of doesn't fit with the, in my opinion, the masterpiece of the other two films. And yes, I know that they're flawed, but I just, I see them through these rose tinted glasses and I hold them up. And this movie is just, it's just such a letdown. But at the same time, it's great for so many other reasons. It's fun, you know, and in some ways, you know, I, I agree with what you were saying that the movie does do some things even better than the other two films. And it just treads into territory and it's completely aware of itself and it's goofy and it's campy and it's meme worthy. And there are some parts of this thematically that do work really well as well. So that's how I feel about it. It, it wasn't my original choice, but I'm, I'm glad that we talked about it now. I think it, it was, it, it's the weirdest way to start. It's the weirdest Spider-Man movie for us to start with, but I think that given the nature of this podcast, it's appropriate. 100%, yeah. Alrighty, well, you want to plug your shit, bro? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, the website again, swoproductions.com. Like I said, we have new articles every single day. I have one guy who, is, <laughs> I love mentioning this, he reviews every single episode of Sailor Moon. So if you like anime, oh. Sailor Moon, he is here for you. Dude. He also reviews every single animated Disney movie. I love Sailor Moon, man. I, yeah, I go to I'm, the website. I think, I think we're that. up to like 40 or 50 some. He reviews them in some chunks and I've gotten some of them published so far. And then, yeah, I do wrestling reviews, comic reviews, movie reviews, just whatever's up and some movie news, entertainment news, whenever it comes out. Uh, follow me on Twitter at SWO Productions. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to be definitely checking some of that out because, I mean, I'm, I'm not so big of the wrestling scene, but I love anime. Yeah. And I love comic book stuff. So I, I'd love to kind of listen back to some of the other old uh, Ghost of the Stratosphere. Like I said, I know we interacted, but I hadn't had really a lot of time to listen to podcasts. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I Especially nowadays, because like, I have so little of a commute now compared to what I did in the, the before times. I have no commute. I, I, I get up from my bed. And I walk over here to, oh, you can't see it because I have a background. <laughs> I walk over here to Spider-Man. Must be a I hell of a job. Over, you walk over, over there to Spider-Man. To my <laughs> tech support job. So, <laughs> but yeah, and that, between that and, and, and making podcasts, man, running two podcasts. Speaking of which, we'll just do a very, very, very quick plug because we're running short on time here. But Collateral Cinema does have a sister podcast called Collateral Gaming, and it is run by yours truly. And we are going to be releasing our Halloween episode out on Until Dawn a little bit late. It's the week after Halloween. Sue me. Oh, I love Until Dawn. Yeah, we, I, I thought it was a great opportunity. I wanted to pick a horror game, and I thought that was an interesting one. So we're going to be bringing that up at the end of this week, which should be out by the time this comes out. If you didn't listen to our season premiere on Majora's Mask, go check that out. One of my favorite video games of all time, and we totally nerd out on it. 
Uh, it's a two-part, three-hour adventure. We've also got upcoming our episode out. We're going to be talking about The Last of Us Part 2, so that'll be interesting. As far as Collateral Cinema goes, where can they find us? They can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcast, on Spotify, on Show Lover Radio, iHeartRadio, and wherever else you get your podcast, and you can find us on Patreon as well. We have $1 tiers and $5 tiers. We have full-length commentaries for you, so go and check that out. And you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Podchaser. Give us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and on Podchaser, please. That'll help us uh, move up the charts and whatnot. So, and, and feedback on your platform of choice. Please follow us. Follow me. You can find me. I'm Ashley Allen Chancellor. You can search for me. You can find me. I will accept friend requests as long as you don't appear to be a bot. So, best advice yeah. I can give you: don't, don't, don't look be like a, you're a bot. Don't be a bot, kids. Don't be a bot. Never. Um, and you can find Collateral Gaming in all of those places. I, I, I basically did the exact same thing. So, I had a great time. Thanks for being on here, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Love the guy. I love you guys' show. It's a lot of fun. I really uh, had a good time tonight. Thank you so yeah. much, man. It was great having you. And stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to be talking about Monty Python's Life of Brian. Always and we did the Holy Grail already. So. Right side of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fact, we were good. supposed to record that tonight. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, that being said, I'm Ashley Chancellor. I'm Bo Maddox. And I'm Robert Stewart. This is Collateral Cinema. We are out. Out. Lateral Cinema is an L Company production. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.